The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. (laughs) You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and alone with me in the studio behind the glass again is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. Are you trapped in here with me, or am I trapped in here with you? We'll decide. (laughs) I promise you, you're trapped in here with me. (laughs) You can never leave. It's like Hotel California in here. It is. You you're here all the time, man. You can never, you can never leave. leave. <laughs> this is ho- this is my my own personal hotel, California. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, we're back. So this is part two um, of a little thing we're calling a conversation with Andy. <laughs> it's just a conversation, and where we left off in the last one, we we were getting into protology or the the theology or the branch of study of the origin of things. You know, the beginning, like a prototype. And we started talking about God as a creator and um, versus the atheist thought of just things happening. The stuff universe. did be. Yeah, stuff be. Stuff did be. And then um, the idea of the creator and what he did, how he created man and uh, his relationship with that man, and then uh, the things that weren't good or the one thing that wasn't good, and then the create- creation of the woman, and then the introduction of the character of the serpent and uh, what the serpent said and asked, oh, are you using a little French press in there? Yes. It, we we only have a French press. We don't have anything else just because we don't drink enough coffee. Oh, it's so much better that so way. So we just keep a French press. I love yeah. French press. I don't own one, but I should probably get one. That's very Not handy expensive. dandy. No. So where we left off was that the man and the woman – had experienced shame. They had experienced deception. Um, there was a question of whether God knew what was happening to them or not. Um, it seems, by the way the author puts it, if you were just reading this story in its relevance at the time, in the moment, that it would seem that this was a the serpent was an actual uh, animal of some kind that was walking around. Right, but with like self-awareness. Very much so, self-awareness. And language skills. Yeah, and was able to deceive, you know, had these capabilities. Um, obviously, either he had been created with the knowledge of good and evil or he had eaten of that tree Right. at some point in the history. I don't know. I've had people, even Rick Carter said, at what stage of the Matrix was this? <laughs> you know, like, um, and, you know, was this the 400th version of the Neo character? A great question. I have no idea. So but that's where we left off. Okay. And so now what I want to do is I want to get into, again, we, we're, we're talking about the origin of things, but also we're talking about the Bible and what the Bible is. And the Bible is just the a series of books, Biblia. It is just literally books, and they're, these have been compiled. Now, in time, um, we understand that the Torah, or the part of the Tanakh, the first five books— we believe, some people believe that Moses wrote them, some people don't, whatever. Somebody wrote them. 
And then there was a group of people in groupthink that determined that these books need to be put together. Some people will tell you that God orchestrated that through the Holy Spirit, that that's how that was put together. Some people will say, whatever they want, doesn't matter. I'm not even getting into that. But what I am saying is at some point, the group determined that these five books were the Book of Moses and that the Hebrew people see these books as critical and important into their understanding of the God that created them. (coughs) That's how this tribe— the tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel, understand their relationship to God. So it all begins with that story. So from there, God has a problem. That's where we left off. God has a problem. He has this created couple, and now they have been cursed because of their disobedience, and they are now put out of his presence. And that's what happens. So... Something has to happen if this God, the creator, wants to relate to his created thing. Now, it would be easy to say, why does it matter? That's the question. Why does it matter? I think it would it'd be easier to relate to them, them having the knowledge of good and evil, actually. But You would think that, right? <clears throat> so let's get into the—let's talk about the will— Let's talk about the choice, choices. We know that God chose to create time. He chose to create light. He chose to make all of these things, and he chose to make man in his own image. That's something that he wanted. Why? I don't know. Not right now, I don't know. Not based off what I've read, but all I know is that that's what he wanted. Right. And then I also know that he's created other things that had the capability to break and create the problem with the thing that he actually wanted. Am I wrong? Or did he want all of it? Well, hmm. that's right. That's a that's a question. There's right? your question. It, it depends on how you feel about ineffability or whatever. So where omnipotence? Did, yeah. So so where did the serpent come from? It had to be. I mean, if God created everything, he had to have created the serpent. He did. So he created the serpent, and that serpent had some capabilities. That serpent knew some things that the other creation did not. Now we've had fun reading out of the pseudepigrapha, like the laugh of the laugh, the yeah. life of Adam and Eve. You yeah, know? it's great. That was very interesting. Yeah, and so what we did was you know, we we started seeing other kinds of stories, trying to explain the missing pieces in this book, like why Satan saw the need to uh, to to uh, fool man in the first place. Exactly. Which makes perfect sense because we have rational thinking minds. Why did he want to break that relationship? What was so important to him? So, but there's no mention up until this point of the creation of angels or anything like that. No. No. No, there's not. It's just the origin of things. And so, anything, yeah, anything we, any assumptions we made about whether or not angels had been created or anything like that would just be completely assumptions with absolutely nothing to back them up. Right. So the writer of the book of Genesis is is giving you he's he's taking you all the way up until you get to the point where we're introduced in the second book which is called Exodus to the point to Moses. And so Genesis is it's a long book. You you get introduced to things like suddenly you you'll see suddenly men began began calling on the name of God. Like it's like after Adam and Eve there there goes through all the stuff you hear about Cain and Abel and the first murder yeah. and and how Cain is cursed and how he goes off to some land and gets a wife and starts having kids. 
So where are these other kids at? Where are these other people from? You ask right. that question. Well, right. Adam and Eve must have had a whole bunch of kids, and so there they are. And then you have these people that are like, no, there was an eighth-day creation, and Adam and Eve were a special creation, and all. Whatever. That's not what you know. It doesn't tell you that in the book. We right. don't know. Right. We're just going off what the book says. Again, remember, guys, all of our beliefs, if you believe this, are coming from this book. That's where it's coming from. So as of right now, we don't know. So you have to read and you have to keep reading and keep reading and keep reading because what's happening is that the tribes, as they are learning, they are releasing or revealing to you more and more about this creator. So that's what the Bible is. It's a series of books about this creator and his relationship to his people. So Genesis is what it basically teaches us is that there comes a point where these other beings we get introduced to in Genesis chapter 6. And that's where Satan and the divine council was. We talked about those other gods, that, the sons of God that came down and slept with the daughters of men and created the giants of yep. the earth, right? And so that's where we learn about those Nephilim. guys. The Nephilim. Nephilim. Well, it all depends. Maybe Nephilim is right in German, but over right. here in America is Nephilim. <laughs> I think I think Nephilim is something from, uh, what is it, like the Norse gods or something? I think I'm it's Maybe. just a close word that I messed up with. Yeah, I don't know. It means giant, I think. Verse six or ch- uh, chapter six, verse one, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God was the daughters of men, uh, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, uh, that they were fair, and they chose them wives of all those which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. Hmm. Hmm. Notice that? I always thought that was interesting. God says, my spirit shall not always strive with man because he is flesh. Didn't he make flesh? Yeah. Of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or so I hear. So now we're beginning to see there's a problem here with his relationship to the thing that he's created because now these other beings that he has created has come down uh, sorry. Um, he's he has this problem, and so now the sons of God are coming down. Now there's a schools of thought on who that is. I believe it's the divine council, or it's the, it's these beings that he's created that have the knowledge of good and evil. Right. They see daughters of men, and they want to play with God's created things. And so they come down and they corrupt these things by having sex with them, intermarrying with them, and having these children with their. They were fallen angels, basically, is what it seems to be. Yeah. And so like. they're they're making this problem. And now all of a sudden, God says, my spirit will not strive with man. Why? Because he is flesh. So I'm going to reduce the amount of days he can live. Why is that? Adam lives 900 and something years. Methuselah lives 900 and something years. These men are living for hundreds of years. And so he cuts it short. He says, you only get 120 now. Yeah, that's about what you can do if you get real lucky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... Then it says, verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he'd made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. 
That's pretty harsh. Yeah, it is. It's pretty harsh. You guys all suck super bad. So they have evil continually in their heart. That's interesting. We don't really pay attention to the knowledge of good anymore because all of a sudden the evil's taken over. These fallen angels or these men or whatever's going on, whatever's happened to man at this stage, it's gotten really bad. We think that it's bad now. In my opinion, the what this author is describing is something far, far removed from what we understand as I, bad. I just, I will say this every time it comes up, you are safer and healthier on average than at any point in human history. It is just unequivocally true. I agree with you. Yeah. And I think that— You don't what, have to agree. It's not one of those things. It's a— It like, is what it you is. You can do the math. Yeah. Just Yeah. Statistically speaking, it's absolutely accurate. 100%. Yeah. And by saying I agree with you, I'm just—I'm tracking with you I on know, that. I know. I'm just yeah. being pedantic. Sorry. I just realized that you have a giraffe on your cup. Oh, yeah. Well, when you name something after an animal, uh, likenesses of that animal just start appearing. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Like I get a lot of donkey stuff. How about that? There you go. <laughs> so he's got a giraffe cup here in Giraffe Studio in beautiful Hendersonville, North Carolina. So, but it, then it says that he's he wants to destroy men, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we're introduced to this character of Noah. Even every atheist in the world knows the story of Noah and the flood. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that story has made it down through the centuries and centuries and centuries. Thousands of years, this story has been going on. And so then it starts talking about the generations of Noah. It starts talking about building this ark. Because Noah God, was such a down dude yeah. that God decided not to murder all humans. Yeah. He, uh, he allowed eight to live. And so... But I want to talk about relationship. I want to bring it back to that. The relationship between man and the created thing and the creator had gotten so bad that the creator saw no other resolution than to reset. Now, I'm not going to get into the Great Reset. <laughs> oh, please, God. Don't even invoke it. I'm tempted to cut it out. <laughs> This is the actual great reset. Right. It comes from the Bible. And it's when God looks at his creation and he says, I can't even believe I've done this. I'm done with it. But this one man finds grace. And that's where you hear about the word grace. Suddenly it's undeserved favor is what grace means. Oh, okay. That's so interesting. He that looks, tracks. But yeah. So I he looks at Noah and he says, I'm going to give that one undeserved favor. And I'm going to save him and his wife and his three sons and their wives. That's what I'm going to do. So he selects eight and he commands Noah to build this ship to save himself. Now, you got to understand, if you guys will do some searching on DuckDuckGo. <laughs> this is the official search engine of the Burrows of Berea Of the Edge, Edgerton. Now, if you look at, that's the running gag. I love that one. So, if you do a search on a search engine, <laughs> use Bing. See how it works out for you. Um, look at these stories like flood stories, and you're going to find that all of them, all of yeah. them have that story. The Sumerians had a story. They're, they're, the Aztecs have a story. All right, and that's you're not even in, you're not even in the Western world. No. Well— Exactly. Eastern the, world. Yeah, the, yeah. Whatever. You're not in the Middle East. Yeah, you're you're you. over here. But uh, you, the there are several cultures that have these flood stories, and they all have the same person. Yeah, I, I feel like 
almost every culture has some version of that story. Well, I mean, every culture I'm readily aware of. Yeah, and there is some... There are scientists, as with everything, they disagree on whether there was a flood or not, but there is something they have to agree on, and that is every culture has a flood story. That's crazy to me. Like, I'm yeah, like, that's there's so super many. Interesting. It is very interesting. <clears throat> so, at some level here, God's made the decision to destroy mankind, and He does so. He does, He wipes them out. And then it starts over with this group, this eight-person group, and then it begins again. But I want to get back into relationship. God doesn't seem to be able to have a relationship with evil. He, he can't have it. Or he it, won't tolerate it, maybe? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not something that he can tolerate. Evil is something he cannot tolerate. And he gives undeserved favor to Noah, but he— this is something that you're going to see repeat a lot as you continue to read the Bible. Whenever he finds the man, we, we go down through the annals of time. I said it right. And then you hear— <laughs> You did. <laughs> I did. Um, thanks, TZ. Uh, so, <clears throat> by the time you get to the person of Abraham, what's going on is that there are several nations of people that have built up— and they get together. We talked. You talked about um, when we talk about the uh, oh, what is it? The Tower of Babel. Whenever a human was like, "Hey, let's do something good," and he's like, "No, you know, no. <laughs> the humans got together." But what happened was, there's all these nations. There's seventy nations actually at this time, and the author wants you to know that that there's seventy nations. And then he calls out this one man named Abraham or Abram at the time, and he brings him and his wife out, and he creates this relationship, and he. And he tells him something, and Abraham <laughs> believes what God says, and that's something that's unique in this relationship between the Creator and the created thing. This one created thing, this Abram created thing, agreed and believed what God said, and it mattered to Abram. Abram cared about what, about what the Creator thought, and he believed and trusted what the Creator thought. And that was something that pleased the Creator, because this is the time where a man— actually makes the choice to believe him. It's unique. Huh, okay. okay. You see what I mean? Yeah, no, that's, it's that's a, interesting. It's this, it's this thing. Now, you and I don't believe in the freedom of the will. I do not believe in the freedom of the will. Yeah, it's a, a, weird, a weird place we uh, come together on, but yeah. I know, it is, yeah. And, and that's because we have a gut, right? We have a stomach. Yeah. And we have brains, and we have things that cause us to, the cause and effect of life. Make our decisions, even if they look terrible. I just believe there's reasons. Yes. Now— in regard to the freedom of the will, when it comes to eating, we have no choice or we'll die. So it affects our will. When it comes to choosing to believe what the Creator said, there could be a series of circumstances that helped him get there, whatever that may be. And maybe God made sure that the, all of those things were there so he would choose him, regardless of what you may think. Abram believed God. And because he believed him, the Bible states something really critical to all of Judaism— even Islam and Christianity, these religions that believe in a creator. <clears throat> it says that Abraham believed God and God credited to him, credited this to him as righteousness, the righteousness of God. Like he credited to him that because you believed me, I see you as righteous because you believe me. Yeah. And he is allowed to do that because he's the creator of all things. 
Right. He's allowed to do yeah, that. He can and he pretty does. much do whatever. He can credit your account with righteousness. That's what he does. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to take you out of your people, and I'm going to create a people just for me, that just based on what you just did, because you believed me, I'm going to create a people. And that's, according to this author in Hebrews, he says that's how we as Hebrews got this relationship with the Creator. That's that's really interesting. I've never really—it's kind of a, a black spot and the things I know, this particular turning point. Mm-hmm. So that's—yeah. So I want to ask you a question, okay? Just you personally a question, Andy. Yes? If you were the Creator of all things— Okay. And you were— in darkness, because light hadn't been created, and you're at the very beginning of all things, and you go to the point that God does where he makes a created thing, and then decides that he wants to relate to it, would you want to control that thing so that it would return the relationship to you, or would you want that thing to do it of its own accord? I suppose you'd be more flattered if it did it of its own accord. Right. Maybe it's not required, because maybe God could be happy with an automaton doing exactly as he made it. Right. Which, when you look at birds in the air, birds have these—you can watch their DNA unfold right before your very eyes. It's amazing, like, the way that they move and the way that they hunt and the way that they nest. and Yeah, the way that they dance and the way they procreate and the things that they do— it's all written so that people question whether or not they have souls or not. But I can tell you, when I talk to a dog, boy, it sure seems like they do. They sure yeah, like that I mean, love, man. If you, yeah, if you know enough animals, you know they all have their little personalities. They do. They have these little personalities. <laughs> but if you were a creator and you want and you did do a creation thing and you made a created thing to relate to, it would seem plausible that you would want it to relate back to you in sure. the same way that you relate to it. Because yeah, I guess it depends on what your motivation for creation was, but it feels like you would want a friend. (laughs) Exactly. Well, if you don't believe in God and you um, are alone and you don't have a relationship with anything and you're you're separated from that, a lot of times we will will see people develop bad things in those people who oh, yeah. are separated from the herd. No, that's true. It's very taxing mentally, apparently. So the author is letting you know that we are relationship beings. He's he he's not driving it home for you right now that you need to fix this with God. All he's mm-hmm. doing is telling you a story. Yep. But he's implying to you that the creator wanted a relationship with his things that he made and none of them were. And because they weren't, because they were like him in the fact that they knew good and evil, that they chose the evil side continually. And because they chose evil, he could no longer deal with the thing that he made. So he wiped them out and he starts over. And then he has this one being on earth who believed him. This is the first time it happened. And that meant so much to him that he said, I'm going to make a race from you. Cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. Right? So he had all of these bad races from the other sons of God, but he's got a race of people that believe him. And so now I'm going to bless this nation, and then I'm going to set up a covenant. This is where we begin covenant. So a covenant is an agreement. At its base, at its core, it's an agreement with someone. 
If I make a covenant with you, I say, Andy, I want to book four hours of time. Mm -hmm. In that four hours of time, you say, okay, great. I'll give you four hours of my time. It will cost you this much. Then I say, okay, I want that time mixed. Great. Then you will agree to this much time, and then you will pay me this much, and then we will have that covenant agreement between us. Just a transaction. That's all a covenant really is in this case, too, is that God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, listen, if you will follow me, if you do, then I'm going to bless you because I have that capability to do that, okay? But if you don't, then it may not work out for you. Double-edged sword, Or say curse you, say. whatever, to be blessed or cursed. But he creates the people, and then he starts to tell him the future. He tells Abraham what's going to happen to the race that he makes. This is all in Genesis. This is still the origins. Yeah. He says, I'm going to make a race of people for you. He says, I want you to look up at the stars in the sky. Now, God is either standing beside him in a form of some kind, or he's downloading these thoughts into Abraham's brain. I believe that he was there, actually, according to the story. Not my belief, but what the storyteller is trying to say. And he says, I want you to look up at the stars in the sky. And he says, I'm going to make all of your descendants, that many. Like, we need to know how many stars are out there. He says, I'm not only going to make you a race, but I'm going to make you that many. And that must have meant something so much to somebody like Abraham, and here's why. Because Abraham's wife couldn't have any kids. Yeah. Yeah, at a time when, oh, it's a different time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so he says to Abraham, you're going to have a son. You're going to. And that's what Abraham actually believed. That's the relationship. Yeah. And what did he say? We already know that man, when he's alone, isn't good, but he's got a wife. But there was something else beyond that. You need to multiply. They couldn't multiply. So there's the problem with this couple that he likes. They couldn't multiply. So he says, I'm going to multiply you so much that it's going to look like that. And Abraham says, I believe you can do whatever you want. So he fulfills that, and then he has a son, and it's Isaac. And then God says, I want you to go sacrifice him to me. Oh, yeah. Man, yep. why? Why? You know, why? Well, they say just to see if he was uh, willing, just to see if he was willing. Okay, so if you want to, when you're a creator doing a created thing, why do I have to ask him to kill the thing that I wanted to give him and bless him? What's the point? I don't know. It's difficult for me it to— It sounds very barbaric and old yeah. and ancient, right? I don't think it is. It sounds like it, but I don't think it is. Again, I think it's about relationship. I think it's about relationship between created thing and creator. Not only did he believe him, but Abraham trusted him. And this would have killed Abraham— This would have killed him. It would have been hard for Abraham to slaughter his son. That's what was required of him, and Abraham set out to do so. He trusted God. That is a unique kind of an individual to trust something that much. It says later on in the Bible that he believed that God would bring him back. Yeah. Because he trusted what God said. God had never broken that covenant with him. He's making a covenant, but why—wait, is he a covenant breaker? No. See, that's what Abraham understood, is that God wasn't a covenant breaker. Man was, but God wasn't. And so 
well, you would think that this is a test of Abraham, but God's showing him, he's saying, Abraham, do you trust me? This is taking our relationship to the next level. Otherwise, it's just playing in a sandbox, Andy. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. I put you in the sandbox, go play. And I'm watching you and I'm loving it. And that's good enough. And I can deal with that. But no, I want to relate to those that are in the sandbox. And so he's saying, in order to be in a relationship with me, we make a covenant. Then you have to trust the covenant. This is a this is an exchange that's relating from creator to created thing. It's trust. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Oh my goodness yeah. gracious. If you can't trust your fellow man, if you can't trust your wife or your doctor or your what well, whatever. If you can't trust the government. No. What <laughs> I'm about not even gonna invoke doctors? that either. They're the worst. <laughs> so, but but what's going on at the baseline here is that they're they're he's establishing this trust factor. And then these things begin to unfold because the son looks up at the dad and says, where's the lamb that was supposed to be sacrificing? And Abraham says the most amazing thing to his son. He goes, God himself will provide a lamb. So Abraham knows he's going to slaughter his son. He's not lying to his son. He's still believing what God is not a covenant breaker. He's going on with it. The servants, are, he says, all right, you guys stay behind. Me and the son are going. And the son's carrying the wood, you know? Uh-huh. And they're going yeah. up. And here it comes. Here comes the moment. He pulls out the knife. He's ready to slaughter his son. And then an angel who was sent to him stops him and says, we know. You're right. He's not a covenant breaker. You went to the level that it takes to get to a relationship with the creator. Uh-huh. You went to the next level. You passed. You beat level one, right? Yep. The great Super Mario Brothers move. So then he looks over and he sees in the bush, he sees this ram that's caught in a thicket. And there's the ram that God provided. For the sacrifice. He didn't see it before, but he saw it after. The next level understanding of the created thing to the creator understood that not only was he not a covenant breaker, but he did provide exactly what he said he would. So there he is. Now, Abraham, because he's done all of this, now Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons. They become the tribes. And one of the sons, the youngest, who is Joseph, all long time ago, his grandfather, Abraham, was told that these people, would there would be a famine and they would be driven down and they go to Egypt and they become slaves. That's what happens. And at the end of Genesis, that's where we are. That's where, yeah. Joseph is the second in command of all of Egypt. The tribes of Israel have been created. The promise and the covenant that God has made it with Abraham is well underway. And it's exact, happening exactly as it was stated. So then we get to Exodus. So, man... Now we've understood so many things about a creator to a created thing based on the nation of Israel. That's what Israel's trying to explain to you. We're telling you, this is how our origin came with the God. Now, did it really happen in Egypt? Dude, I don't know. Hard to say. I'm not an archaeologist. I'm just, it's a religious story. It's a book. This religious group is saying, this is how our relationship with this God happened. And he happens to be the always. He's greater than all of the other gods, which is what tribes do. My gods are bigger than yours. Yeah. Yeah. But they're saying that this relationship is unique is that it's based on a trust. This is interesting. This is a base, this is a covenant God. This is a trust huh. God. That's interesting. So that would have been different than you think uh, that would have been sort of a newish sort of way to to approach mm-hmm. a God, I guess. I would say so. Okay. I mean, I'm sure there's some similarities in other religions, uh-huh. but in this case, for the Hebrew people, this is their God and this is how they relate to him. Interesting though. Yeah. Now 
God, we learn, is holy. God has attributes. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is holy. He has all of these attributes. And he has a created thing, which is broken and does not have any of those things. Yet he is determined that he's going to relate to them. He's not talking about anyone else in the world except the Hebrews. Let's yeah. keep that in mind. Anything outside of Hebrews is called Gentile. Now, if a Gentile wanted to be a Hebrew, he couldn't by birth, but he could by right if he trusted the creator of the Hebrews. And they would allow him in if he was a foreigner or an alien yep. in a strange land or whatever. And they wanted to believe in Yahweh, the YHWH, Yahweh, or YHVH, whichever one I can't remember. yod Hey vav Hey is how you say it in Hebrew. Uh -huh. You want to trust the God with that name, Yahweh, then you can be a part of us. And then you take on yeah. what that means. Now, so God, the creator, Yahweh, says, you're my people. I'm your God. I'm going to show you just how far I will go to make sure that you're mine. And this is the stage that's set. That's what happens in Exodus, is the stage is set, and he brings a deliverer because they've been in bondage for 400 years. They've multiplied, just like he asked and wanted, and they are in slavery, and he brings a deliverer, and that's where Moses comes into play. And so whether Moses is writing his own autobiography or someone is writing the biography of Moses, this is where Moses enters into the picture. And Moses is raised by the Egyptians, but he is born by right a Hebrew. Yeah. So because of this evil man that's the, the king of Egypt determines, or the pharaoh of Egypt determines that he's going to kill all of the Hebrew children under the age of two. His parents freak out, give him to his little sister and put him in a, a what's called a bulrushes, like a yep. this little little ark in another little lake, right? A baby ark. A baby ark and saves this little boy who's going to grow up special. He's trained in all of the ways of the Egyptians. And here he is. He takes this moment in his heart where he begins to see that the Hebrew people are under in bondage and he wants to help them. And then when he tries, one of these guys, these Egyptians are whipping one of his other dudes, you know, his other brethren. And so Moses kills him. Yeah. And then Moses goes on the run. For 40 years. That is a long time. And by the time he comes back, he's 80. And before he comes back, before he comes back, God has this fiery bush, right? The burning bush that never is consumed. Mm -hmm. And he communicates to man through this bush. And he tells him, I want you to go and I want you to get my people. They are his people. It's the covenant people that he promised Abraham that he would keep and bless. Yep. God's still keeping up his end of the bargain, even though Abraham's long gone. Isaac's long gone. Jacob is long gone. They're all gone, but he's still got his people. And he says, I want to get my people out of this bondage because I already told my friend Abraham that's what I was going to do. And he says, go back. And so Moses, he stutters. He doesn't know how to talk good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that was interesting when I learned that. Yeah, and so he says, fine, you can get your brother Aaron to speak for you. But he says, who should I tell him is sending me? This is where you get a name. That's where I am comes from. I am that I am. This is when God gives his name to his people and says, I am has sent you. And he comes and then he brings them out of bondage and they bring them up to this land, the promised land. Eden 
is eastward of that place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's uh so the the writer most likely of Genesis is also the writer of Exodus. They they believe that. They linguistically and everything they believe that it's the same writer. And so he's still telling the origin story. Interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, it's the same writer. Yeah, same writer. I guess that makes sense. So he's telling the origin of the people and how they yeah. got where they are. Because the person who's writing this is already at the end of all of the five books. So you're going to find out by the time you get to the the end of the five books, he's told the whole story and that's where they are, you know, is that present day. This is how we got to where we are now. Yeah. That's what the that's what the first five books of the Bible are. It's the relationship that now God has with an entire nation. It's not just Abraham. It's the promise. It's the covenant. But these are the children of Abraham. That's why they're called the children yep. of Abraham. Yep. It's the nation of Israel, and that's his nation. That's what the Bible is about. We got to remember that. It is about a covenant between a creator and his created things and a special set of created things he calls the Hebrews or his nation of Israel. And so the first five books, you get you start hearing about all of these different people, Joshua and Caleb and all this stuff. And then after that, then we start getting into some more history. You start hearing about other people coming in. That's when Joshua, who takes over the place of Moses, and now he's leading the people into the promised land, and it's war. He's fighting against all of the things that are keeping them from getting to the land that God has promised. Because yep. not only has he promised Abraham many, many, many children, but he's also promised to give them all the land that he could see, and that's the place they're heading back to. Yep. That's what they're going, is to take the land. And by the way, they still fight over that land even now. Right. It has been going on pretty much, it sounds like, from the time that Abraham looked at it. Everybody else wanted it. So, but that's what the Bible is. But it always still comes down to it's a relationship that God has with the nation of Israel based on a promise that he made his friend Abraham. That's cool. what it's about. That's neat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I knew that because you sort of know that, but it's just not, not thought about it or put a pin in it that same way. Yeah. And, quite so neatly. And so for me, it's always been like, oh. Is this really how it has to work between a creator and a created thing? Like, is that how it has to work? And I've I, I've went through and I've argued it so many different ways, up and down, left and right. Honestly, if I want the thing to be in a relationship with me, then that's the want. I want it to do it on its own. Yes. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to make it. Now, a Calvinist would punch me in the mouth and say, "No, it's not possible." God, okay, whatever. There's some. We can get into relevance to the audience yeah, later yeah. in that. But my my determinism means that there's really no difference between those two things, mm -hmm. uh, or at least in my view, you can't. So what the what the Bible teaches you is that God never broke the covenant. He never broke. God yep. never broke it. In fact, the covenant he he instills it further in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Torah, the final book of the Torah, where we hear how Moses doesn't actually get to the promised land because of his disobedience to God. And his anger, you know, prevents him from getting there. So and close. Almost made it, but he doesn't make it. But God buries him. That's the only time you hear that. God buries Moses. Um then Joshua does actually, you know, lead them to the promised land. But in Deuteronomy, this covenant gets deeper and deeper. And what you learn is that God is trying to tell these people, if you want to be in a relationship with me, and I'm a holy, all-knowing God, then there are certain types of things that you need to do in order to learn who I am. I am that I am. Do you want to know me too? 
It's not just do we have a trust. Now is, do you want to know me? See how the relationship's getting deeper? Yeah. And by knowing, when we see these laws, like he says, okay, I want you to make this fabric in this specific way. I want you to put it on the specific pole. I want this pole to be carried in this specific way. It's easy to look back at the ancient tribes and say, oh, they were just barbaric. They had their little funny rituals, and that's what it was. Not necessarily. What's happening is that the God who has all of these attributes is explaining to man, here's not only how you relate to me, here's how you get to know me. Because he says, I want you to build a tabernacle, and this tabernacle will travel with you everywhere you go as a nation. And within that tabernacle is going to be this thing where my laws that I have, those 10 commandments that I gave Moses up on the mount, where I tell you not to steal from one another and not to lie to one another and not to murder one another or to sleep with another person's wife or whatever it might be. He's he's telling you what his holiness at the baseline, the Ten Commandments are just a prototype of the laws that are coming. They're right. the initial laws. And then he has all of these little tiny laws that he gives to Levitical priests, that he gives to these the um all well, basically all of the priests, really. He he breaks down more and more and more of exactly who he is. And it gets really complicated. He's a very complicated being. Yeah, absolutely. Now, all of a sudden, you have a complicated creator who has a very finite creature, and he still wants to relate to him, but he wants them to really know who he is. But guess what? They won't. (laughs) They can't. Right. Some of them have that same kind of love and trust that Abraham does down through the ages. David will be one of them. King David will be one that he is so flawed. He is still a man. He still sees Bathsheba, who is another man's wife, and he looks at her naked and he lusts after her, and he goes and he kills. He basically sends her husband on the front lines to die so that he can get his wife. And then he gets her and he has Solomon, or he gets her as a baby that dies, and then Solomon's born to Bathsheba, and then he has other wives, and he's doing all these things. And uh, Honestly, David is a train wreck when it comes to normal life. But at the core of who David was— David loved the God uh-huh. as created as as complicated as he was. David still loved him. That's an interesting thing. God seems to respect the fact yeah. that he is as complicated as he is, and the finite creature that is down there who's a mess still loves him. That's an interesting relationship. So then you find other men throughout these scriptures. All of these books are basically just compiled for us to see the relationship between the created thing and the creator and how complicated it was. It was very complicated because what they learn over time, and I think was the plan all along, and it could just be me Mm -hmm. thinking of myself as a creator to a created thing, is that once I explained all those complications, that the only way that I could fix it is if I fixed it. Yeah, right. Which is who Jesus was. Oh, okay. I never thought about it that way. That's the point, is that Israel— So he's the patch. He's the patch. You're right. The bug fix. (laughs) Yeah. He's the anomaly that actually was put into the matrix to make it work, right? So, but if you look at— if you look at all of those complicated laws and all the things that they did, and he always, that covenant that he made with that nation, he says, if you do this, then I will bless you. But if you don't, then I will end this covenant. If you break it with me, I will end my covenant. So these men, he puts, he brings these men that do not have a free will. These men are called prophets. They are put here. They're like other patches. 
They're brought into the matrix at this specific point minor in time. Minor bug fixes. Minor bug fixes to look at and say to the nation, the, the they will talk to the nation and tell them, this is where you've gone wrong. This is what you have to do to fix it. If you don't, God's going to judge you and destroy you. And he's going to take you out of the land that he promised. Yep. He's going to do all the things that I promised my friend Abraham. I told you, if you break it with me, I'm going to separate you from that. I'm taking, I'm breaking the covenant with you because you broke it with me. But then he says, if you will return, I'll bless. If you'll return, I'll bless. This is a complicated creator that is dealing with now complicated individuals because time— right. Over time, they've grown and become a nation, and now it's not just a man in the desert. It's a bunch of people in a city with all kinds of other problems. So the complications get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He sends the patch. People like Jeremiah that come in and says, listen, if you don't turn, if you don't stop this slavery, then I'm going to send the Babylonians in, and they're going to wipe you out. And they didn't turn, and the Babylonians came in and wiped them out. Then here comes Isaiah. I'm going to tell you of one that's going to come. He's going to be born of a virgin. Why? Why did he have to be born of a virgin? I don't know. It seems uh, blood miraculous. It's we all we like to think of it as oh, it's just this miracle story. No, it's actually it's not. It's not about the miracle story. It's about the fact that everything that has been born since Adam ate of that fruit has had what this complicated God has explained to people mm-hmm. is sin. And sin is the complication, and that's why he's telling you, this is what is separating you from me. The sin does this, 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 and it keeps you from me. So sin is sin is a trait that's carried through the man's genes. That's exactly right. Because man's the one that disobeyed, not the woman. Not the same. So what's going on— well, so what he does with the virgin is that he puts, it says, then the Holy Ghost overshadowed the woman and she became pregnant with this seed that God puts in her. Now, in the story, keep it in the story. Remember, it's a religious story. That's the only way that you can reconcile this problem is to bring his spirit into it, which, remember, breathed into man and gave him a living yep. soul. So God breathes. So as he overshadows this woman, now the seed is born. So the prophets that from old were continuously telling you, not only are you going to be destroyed and taken away, if you return, I'll bless you. But ultimately, I'm going to bring you back. Ultimately, I'm going to bring you back. No matter what, I'm not breaking my covenant. So he begins to separate when he brings his Messiah who is the Christ, according to the Christ story, Christian story in the New Testament. By the time Jesus arrives, Jesus— Rick looked at his watch. (laughs) Yeah, I've got to watch the time, buddy. Like, we're getting—this is the end of part two, because then we're going to end right here. By the time the Christ arrives, the nation has become so apostate, they're fully paganized now. They don't even follow—they've turned God's law— into something that it was never initially made for. Just like when Jesus would speak and say, God made Sabbath for man yeah, so that he could rest. Not the other way around. You've turned the Sabbath into a thing to where I can kill you? Do you know what I mean? Like God said to rest. He did. He said yeah. rest, and I'll put you to death if you don't. Like that, God says that for himself, strong. but it, but there's reasons for it. But regardless, 
I'm not going to get into that <laughs> right now. We've already done that. He Now, these men who are in control of the law, they have taken what was already complicated and made it even more complicated, which is something that man does. And dude, tell me it doesn't. Sure. Yeah. We do it right now. We're the worst, you know? But in this state, the nation of Israel has finally broken it once and for all. They're fully paganized. They do not care about God. Jesus, when he utters these words, and we're going to end right here because I want to pick up there. Jesus, when he utters these words, he says, if somebody brings gold to the temple, you basically say that the gold's what have value. But they bring the gold to the temple because there's a God that they serve, and the God's what makes that temple holy. But you pay more attention to the money than you do what's blessing the money to be used. You've you've missed the relationship. Yeah. The you relationship, missed the bigger point. There's no longer a relationship there at all. Now they're using the power that they've gained over time to keep the people down, the basic commoners yeah. down. And that's when God steps in. And then that's the story and that's where all of these sects of Christianity begin to split, is the understanding of what actually happens to Israel in this moment when Christ arrives. That's why we have so many sects of Christianity today. Right. Everybody yeah. believes a specific point, and I'm going to solve all their problems. Oh, oh it's about time. <laughs> that's all I got for today. I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I had a joke. I had a Noah joke, but I think I've already said it, so I'm not going to do it. Anyway... This was a good one. Yeah, yeah, it this was. This was fun. I just want to, you know, if I can get anybody, any of our listeners to understand that this is, remember guys, that this is opinion and speculation. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. And there have been a lot of people that have been attacking a person that came in our studio, Gary DeMar. Think about whatever you want. But the guy's written enough books out there that he stated his case. If you got a problem with it, take it up with his books. He's that he's already wrote it. He's they're there for you to, but they're going after him like all the time, just because of who's affiliated with. We need to relax a little bit. We are suddenly becoming much like the nation of Israel was way back when that stopped thinking about the relationship that we have with God. We stop thinking about the relationship and we only think about the written things that are down yeah. and start, you know, making other people follow them or they're not, you know, they're not following groupthink. This is ridiculous. And anyway, I'll just end on that. But I'm just saying we we need to settle down a little bit. And all of you people that are screaming heretic, you need to watch it. You need to. Quit throwing stones at people. Nobody has it right. Nobody. Except me. No, I'm just kidding. But I will introduce you to Welchianism, and then we'll get everybody converted. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Just kidding. Anyway. Well, Andy, this was fun. Yeah, it was, man. Yeah, Yeah, so we'll end part two right here. And guys, we will talk to you next time on the The Burroughs of Berea. Peace out. Hey, guys. This is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.